0: With all that being said, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, uh, or get on your smartphones and flip, because we're in that world now. Uh, We are going to be looking at our third of our 15 pillars. Uh, So we're taking a break uh, over the next 15 weeks from our series in Samuel, looking at the life of David, Uh, and we are looking at pillars of the local church, that is, what is it that the local church should be founded on in order to actually be a New Testament church? Um, And today, we are looking at the pillar of being committed to the scriptures. So we're talking about the word of life, and we're going to actually get to hear about the word of life and how it brings life from the word himself. And so turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And I'm actually going to pray for us again. uh, And I'm going to ask us uh, a very important question to start out our time after I do so. Because today, I think, is going to be really intense Um, not just for me, uh, because I promise you I need this word as much as possible, but also for some of us in this room. So Matthew chapter 22. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, you are the living word and you have brought to us the words of life. Where else can we go for it, Lord? We ask today that we would not Walk out of here in delusion to the spirit of apathy, confused by a seeming lack of responsibility. That God, we would not just be people of the book, but people of the God of the book. For Lord, you are not a God that we have made up with our own minds, but rather you have revealed yourself and this is your testimony. Help us to delight in it. And let us bear fruit that is proper from delighting in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, trusting you'll make all things right. Amen. So Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 34, the text reads this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, at Redeemer City Church, We don't say this often, but I want to say it in the context of what we're talking about today as we have just heard Jesus respond to the Pharisees. This is the word of the Lord. So let me ask you a question Are you satisfied with your life in Christ as it currently is? If you're not, you're not alone as many of us would testify to the fact that our active life with Christ has maybe not been so active. Or maybe it's active in the wrong pursuits, and it's not actually pursuing Jesus' mission or resembling his life. Maybe we find ourselves like the Pharisees in this text who see the word of God, both written and living, not as a God be worshipped, not as a book to have your life submitted to, but as a tool to get what you want. You see, in this passage, Jesus is approached by a group of Pharisees who desire to test his knowledge of the law after he saw that their rivals, the Sadducees, were easily quelled and silenced by Jesus in regards to their wrong views of the resurrection. And one of the Pharisees in the group is an expert in the law. That phrase is important. And he asks Jesus, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus responds with two statements Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 6, and love your neighbor. As yourself, which is a quote from Leviticus 19. Jesus concluded his response by saying that all the law and the prophets depend on those two things. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox for a little bit. Uh, If you're one of these people in here that has struggled to read the Old Testament because it has been colored for you, in such a way as devising God's personality and nature. One, whoever did that was wrong. Two, I just told you that from the book of Leviticus originates the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, which is a book that there has been much conversation about, a lot of skeptic conversation about, but apparently not much reading. In fact, What Jesus is espousing for is a biblical understanding of justice when he gives that command, not only to the Pharisees, but to his disciples. A command that we often send you out with as a benediction for our church. Those words are rooted in the Old Testament because that's what Jesus was reading. So, my soapbox is this I was one of those people too. Read the Old Testament. You won't know the story of Jesus. You won't know what book he's reading unless you're reading that book because currently he's living the New Testament. He's not writing it. So, soapbox is over now. Jesus is demonstrating to the Pharisees and Sadducees that their reading of the Bible was not leading to the proper outcome. Rather than taking God at his word and responding through repentance and faith and obedience in light of God's grace, they were getting hung up on elementary matters and worldly matters in their reading of the scriptures. Matthew, the writer of this, is conveying to his first century Jewish audience that Jesus had a different purpose in mind when it came to these two commands than even what they would have grown up with. It was very different from the Pharisees and Sadducees, and it's going to be the same for us as the church in the first century. This brings us to our first point. Experts in the law don't ask the wrong questions of God. They certainly don't ask the wrong questions of the word of God. You see, God, as revealed in Christ Jesus in this moment, is more interested in the relational devotion of his covenant people, as well as the demonstration of that relationship through loving human relationships. By all of this, Is what Jesus says the law and the prophets have their stand and proof of fruitfulness, and very clearly, mankind is flawed in doing such a thing. Our attempts to understand God in and of our own power only lead to an abuse of the truth, as we are currently seeing. We're not seeing the Pharisees look to worship God with all their hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We're definitely not seeing them love their neighbor. Right now, the Pharisees, the only reason this expert in the law, and let's just talk about how cowardly that is, only one of them responds to Jesus, not all of them, and they're all Pharisees. Uh, this expert in the law is asking this wrong question of the word of life, not seeking life, but seeking to put down his enemies. He watched the Sadducees get silence, and he was like, oh, bro, homie, like, he did that. Uh, maybe, we can, maybe we can get a little bit of stuff from him right now. Jesus is like, nope, don't work like that. Does not work like that. Very flawed. To understand the things of God in their own power with utmost integrity. They tested Jesus, looked for ways to put down their enemies, and that's the worst reason to gain an understanding of the word of God. And it's not uncommon to our culture today, right? If you want to know what the 21st century of this would have been like, this would have definitely been multiple Twitter posts multiple, at least five. I mean, y'all, y'all laugh, but y'all know I ain't wrong. Why is it, church, that all of us are so quickly, are so quick to bite back? All of us are reactionary, right? That seems to be the modus operandi of our culture, All of us is very reactionary to everyone else. The truth is not a means for life, but a weapon. Is that really why we read the scriptures? I know what it's like. I get how justifying it can feel to put down somebody you think is wrong on the internet. And I've only done it a handful of times, but for me, all the people that are currently in this room, a good number of them could tell you stories of how I've done that. With God as my witness, I could tell you it's not a fruitful life to use the truth as a weapon. I think the way that we actually apply this to our lives is that we read the scriptures to know who God is and what he desires. It's not a tool to bite back with. It's not a tool for putting down your enemies. It's not a tool to jump on a bandwagon of people who seem to be right because they have the most clout on the internet. We follow the one the Bible speaks about. Not everybody speaking about the Bible. Now, When we listen to Jesus' response to the Pharisees, we notice that there are three particular subjects at hand, and I don't want us to miss these. His response involved things that were in stark contrast to everything the Jewish community knew about the character of its leadership in the first century. That is really important. The Pharisees knew the answer, or at least should have known the answer, to the question that the expert in the law asked, and yet they were shocked by it. We don't get to read the shock today, but it's after verse 40. It's starting in verse 41. Uh, so you can read that on your own time. But the greatest command according to Jesus, the Son of God, the living Word, is to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind, to love their neighbor as themselves, and by doing so, demonstrate the law and the, what the law and the prophets stand on. Here's how Peter, who is present in this moment, puts it in his letter to the dispersed church undergoing persecution. He says in 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, kind of similar to the Pharisees. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he or she is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall." Well, that's a promise. That true for all of us? Have we confirmed our calling and election? Are we doing that every day? Do we understand that it's actually not an option? Our second point is this. God's to be loved with your whole being. It's not an option. Similar to all the examples he's given to the Pharisees throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you can't wash the outside of the cup and the inside is still dirty. It's not what you put into your mouth. It's what comes out of it that clearly reveals what your heart is like. Guys, experts in the law would actually be people that love God with their whole being. And I think Jesus is calling us to do this. I think Jesus is looking at his covenant people and saying, you can be an expert in the law. It just looks like this, not like a manipulation of the truth to get what you want. Jesus, the son of God, is to be loved with your whole being. Jesus, our great high priest, desires that his people loves the way that he has loved them. Jesus, the living word, desires to see his word fulfilled and his story carried on through faithfulness and integrity of his people when it comes to his revealed word. There's a very simple way we apply this to our lives. We preach the gospel to ourselves. Here's why. That's the way to do this. Because when you understand over and over again every day that you were the one that was rescued, you did not do the rescuing. You were the one who was rescued. You were the enemy of God. You were the one whose sin caused such a cosmic chasm. You are in line with the first Adam apart from Jesus. And you can't defy that on your own. When you realize that's who you were and then you realize the lengths in which God has gone to get us all the way over here to where in the 21st century in Louisiana, all of us are sitting in this thing as a community known as a church, a Jesus community, because we've been rescued by God himself. We sing new psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and yet we still join into the song of Moses, declaring that our Lord, because he is ours, he is a mighty warrior. He has rescued us from captivity. When you understand that, the truth can't be a weapon because you want to give it away so much because it was so freely given to you. You want to share the gospel with your neighbor because you know what it's like to be rescued. You don't want to use the truth as a weapon on Twitter because you know what it means to be rescued. Now we're going to jump into this next point immediately because it's, it's the train that we're on right now. Your neighbors are to be loved as God has loved you. Let's just ask ourselves, are we satisfied with the way we've loved people around us? I mean, my goodness, some of you know this. How long did it take some of you to become believers? How long did it take some of you to be wooed by Christ into his affection? How long did it take for you to become an adopted son and daughter? Guys, I had people minister to me for 18 long years. They put up with me through every addiction I had. They put up with me through every dramatic moment. All of you know me. I have a lot of those. They put up with me through every single life crash, all of the doubts, all of the skepticism, all of the anger, all of the bitterness, all of the reasons I had built up for why I wasn't going to be a part of the church. And in my dorm room, my freshman year of college, I was by myself, and the Holy Spirit gripped me in the midst of my sinfulness and looked at me and said, your life will not amount to this. You need my grace and mercy. And if you know that that's true of you, how in the world do we use the Bible as a weapon? If you know that this is true of you, how in the world do you say that you love Jesus and not talk about him? I don't understand. This is not to be a condemning thing. Like, trust me, I know that evangelism is hard. I'm not even just talking about that. How hard is it to have a Christian conversation with your wife or your husband? I remember this article about, I think, four or five years ago uh, that John Piper had written uh, for Desiring God, and it had the most clear title that I've ever read. And to most people, it would just be like, well, duh. But the reason he's saying it is because we didn't understand the duh. He had to say it. Christians, say Christian things to each other to keep yourselves Christian. <laughs> like, it's that is, You laugh, but we don't do it. <laughs> you laugh, but to walk up to somebody and for somebody to ask you how your day is going and for you to say, the Lord has just been really blessing me, you're like, ah, oh, that sounds super religious. Let me just not do that. Like, tell me that you don't think that. <laughs> Try to lie to me right now. I will see right through it. I know that we do that. And yet, if we don't say things like that, then the person next to you in the grocery aisle who's hopeless and sees that you clearly have something they don't, how will they know since you're too scared to use that religious language? If we're not satisfied with the way that we love, do we see a way in this text to do it? to properly respond to Jesus' words by loving our neighbor well? We can actually go all all the way back to the beginning in verse 34. It says, after they heard that he'd silenced the Pharisees. I just want to say three things about that that Jesus wanted to correct in his response to them. Jesus is the living word that rescues sinners like us with the truth of the gospel. So when you hear truth from the Lord Jesus Christ, Your first thought is not, oh, I need to go tell this to this person so I can put them down finally. Your thought needs to be, Lord, thank you. I just remembered that you can actually rescue them. Jesus is the Lord of our whole lives, not the giver of gifts with no expectations for you. Jesus has given us a great gift. We have every spiritual blessing in the holy realm in Christ. We are God's adopted sons and daughters. We are a treasure possession, but we are also a nation of priests. We have responsibilities, people. Jesus won't fit into our agenda when he's the one who's sovereign. There was never an opportunity for Jesus to fit into your plans. You were always in his. Please note, in the midst of all the shame and suffering, in the midst of everything you've ever experienced, and guys, I have a list. I'm sure you all have a list. I'm willing to join you in talking about the list, trust me. Guys, what he has is better. Trust me. The years of abuse and the years of my own sinfulness, the years of racism, the years of everything else, the years of not being taught like everybody else, the years of lacking privileges that everybody else lacked, I get it. And that's just me. I have no clue what your story is. Guys, here's the truth. He's not going to fit into our agenda. It's not you added Jesus to your life and now you're a better person. It really is he rescued you and he's got something way better for you. But he did travel a road of suffering. He is a man of sorrows. Be prepared for that to be your reality sometimes too. Here's our final application. Remember how God transformed you and look for him to do the same in those around you. Remember, that was Israel's problem. They forgot. We don't have to forget, y'all. Remember. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the fact that your word has come to us. And, Father, we pray that by the power of your spirit, it would go forth from us. Lord, we pray that, God, you would give us boldness to proclaim the of of your word, that God, you would make us like that tree in Psalm 1, that God, because we meditate on your word day and night, we would be like a tree planted by flowing streams, whose leaf never withers, and we bear fruit in the season you tell us to. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, trusting that you make all things right. Amen.